Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome here. This is great. So thankful to be with you uh, again this weekend. Um, if you're new here, my name is Sid Coop, and I am uh, I am like the the unique staff, maybe the weird staff person. Maybe that would be the right way to put it. Um, my wife and I, we live in Kelowna, British Columbia, and then I get to travel. I work with the youth ministry, by the way, so weekly connect with Abby and Conrad, and, uh, and I have another organization where our team is also helping journey with Con, uh, Abby and Conrad, and then once a month, I get to actually be physically in person and get to preach and be a part of, of our community here, and I'm really thankful to do it. Dave, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this. I think it's cool. Hey, I gotta, I, I'm kind of excited. I got to be honest. So... On, uh, on Friday night, Conrad and Abby, uh, they, they did staff training with our volunteers, student men volunteers. I'm sure a number of you in here, I see you already, you were there. Here's what I think is so cool. Uh, so first of all, this is, this is like, uh, this is the Sunday, the ministry fair Sunday. You got to check out volunteering in different spaces. You got to do it. Please do it. You need to do it. And, uh, and I'm really passionate about the youth ministry in particular. Love all the ministries, but youth ministry in particular. Let me just, let me tell you why. Um, we did a research project, and I've referenced this before, but we did a research project, our organization, um, a number of years ago on, on young ad, on teenagers moving from high school to life after high school. And what's going to help them with faith formation through that journey? One of the things that we've known for a long time is that a lot of young people who have had a significant engagement in church and faith as a child or an adolescent disengage from faith and church completely by the time they're done college. The, the research is pretty high, anywhere from 50 to 60% of those people is what we see, in Canada in particular. Uh, but when we took a look at renegotiating faith and we, we took a look at, you know, that transition period in particular, we knew that lots of kids disengaged from church and faith over that transition as well. So we are asking the question, what makes a difference that can keep a young person committed to church and faith through that transition and beyond? And, um, and here's what we found. If a young teenager, if a teenager does not have a mentor with them in high school, that helps them re-engage a new community of faith if they move to another community and go to university, if they don't have someone help them re-engage a new community of faith in that next location, we found that about 15 to 17% of those kids who had been engaged in church and faith were completely out by the end of that next year. Oh, sorry, only 15% were still engaged. That means about 85% were completely out by the end of the next year. However, if they had a mentor that had journeyed with them in their local context through high school and then helped them, you know, just relationally, stayed with them through July, August, and into September and helped build a bridge into a new community of faith in the new environment where they were, that number went from about 15 to 17% to over 75% still engaged in church and faith one year later. So on Friday night, we gathered, or Conrad and Abby gathered volunteers, people who are committed to mentoring teenagers in junior high and high school and to help them in that journey. And here's what I was so pumped about. Uh, four years ago when I came here, you know, there'd been lots of shifts that had happened. And we had, I think, 12 to 15 volunteers that were committed and they carried it. Through such a difficult season, they carried it so well. And a number of them are still involved in the youth ministry today. But instead of 12 to 15 gathering, like, you know, three to four years ago, there was between 30 and 40 youth workers that gathered on Friday to think about how can we better 
model what it means to follow Jesus to the kids that God's placed in our care. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? That's how we change stuff. That's, that's, how, that's how the church begins to change communities, begins to change like families, begins to change like environments. When we begin to be committed together as the body of Christ, owning what it means to lead people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to point to the reality of Jesus Christ and continue to walk alongside as we make that the thing that we're about. When we make that the main thing, that what we are about is helping people see the reality that they need more than anything else, you guys. I mean, hear me on this, right? More than anything else, what do we need? We need to reconnect with the person who has created us and then recreated us through his work on the cross so that we can have life, so that we can be human the way that we were designed to be human, to experience flourishing, even in the midst of the difficulty and the pressure and the struggles that we're in. If we can be a community in a place that does that, that's the game changer. But man, we got to get focused. We have got to get focused and we have to get refocused and we've got to fight to be focused because it's going to take a fight. Because there is so much that's distracting us as a community, as the body of Christ, from the main thing. Hey, listen, if you're a visitor here today and you're just checking this place out, thank you so much for being with us online. Thank you. You're kind of looking into a bit of an in-house conversation, if you will. And this one's burning in me right now because I've been involved in a few conversations over the last week that kind of center around this. So Friday, our organization help partner with Alpha Canada on a new um, research project that they've done. They surveyed two, just over 2,000 church workers, volunteer and lay, in Canada. Here was with the shocking stat that they discovered. The shocking stat they discovered that around like 40% of church workers, lay and some like vocational, would suggest that it's unethical for us to try to engage someone who has a different worldview than a Christian worldview and lead them to Jesus in order to see them change their worldview and begin to follow Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said? That's the church in Canada. Like 40% are saying, no, I don't think that it's okay for us to lead people, to, to evangelize, to be on mission and invite people to actually change their worldview and begin to follow Jesus Christ. We are distracted. We have become a people who are distracted from the main thing, the most loving thing that we could ever bring to anyone else. The reality of the person of Jesus Christ who created us and recreated us through his work and death on the cross were distracted. And it's costing us. I think we live in a season, my friends, that is more distracted than it has ever been for us. Ever. We are polarized. 
we're struggling. And, and the things that we're struggling with and the things that are polarizing us are real things. I don't want to belittle it. I don't want to belittle it all. They're real things and they require real conversations and they require real, real like wrestling. Absolutely. And we have different perspectives. We have real things like a pandemic that is like just shifted the globe in a way that we've never seen before. That's real. And it has real effects on our lives and the people around us. And we have different positions on how we should respond to it. That's real. It's real. We have real things like, like vaccinations that we're fighting with. Get vaxxed. Don't get vaxxed. Have a passport. Check passports. Like it's real. We're wrestling with it in our own family. Like we wrestle with these things in our roles and our ministries and the people we're with and it creates tension and we have to wrestle and we have to process. It's real. It's important. Don't get me wrong. We have real issues like, like politics and polarized you know, positions on government and future governments. And we have an election coming and it's real and we should wrestle with it. And within the follow, as followers of Christ, there's different positions that we're taking and we got to work together on the stuff and it's real and it's important. Don't get me wrong. But listen to me on this one right now because I think this is real. And luckily I get to go home. So if there's fallout, just talk to Dave and he'll blame me, okay? That's cool. I get it. If any of these things distract us from the glory of Jesus Christ and the mission he's called us to as the body of Christ, and if these things separate us as the body of Christ, and that separation becomes a distraction from the work of the mission of Jesus Christ and bringing people to meet Jesus Christ, if that does that to us, that's the work of the evil one. It's the work of the evil one, man. Because all these things are really important things, but I'll be honest, they're not the main thing. Jesus Christ is the main thing. I mean, it's really interesting to me when I read through the New Testament and I read Paul's prayers to all these different churches in these different cities. They're going through really different things. And the issues they're dealing with are very, very serious issues. Paul's dealing with serious issues. He's writing from prison for a part of the letters. Like, it's really serious stuff. Do you want to know something? I've read, like, pretty much every one of his prayers, near as I can tell, he almost never prays that God would change the context that the people are in. And he doesn't pray that God would change his context. You know what he prays? That people would see Jesus. That people would dial in to what the main thing is. And we would stay on point, on mission as the main thing. So like my brain's blown by this, man. So I was sitting with um, Jason Ballard who works with Youth Alpha. And he's a good friend of mine. If you've watched any of the Youth Alpha videos... You know, Jay, he's been in them. He helped produce them, write them, did all that work. We were in meetings in Toronto on Friday. And so before we were meetings, we were just sitting together. And we were just talking about the division we're seeing, the distraction from the main thing, from the mission that God's called us to. And we just said, man, if this stuff splits the church, if it splits the church, it is just, it, it is the work of the evil one if it splits the church. Okay. So then the question is like, how do we stay focused on the main thing? 
even in the midst of issues that are very real, that really affect our lives, that are often polarizing and difficult to reconcile, how do we stay on the main thing? Because we don't pretend they don't exist. We don't ignore them. We, it's not that we don't engage them, okay? But how in the midst of this do we stay on the main thing? And let me just say this, by the way. This isn't just about like, signing up and volunteering at the, at, the, at the church fair so that we can get some stuff done here in this church. This is about the purpose of our lives. This is about our lives counting for something. This is actually about us experiencing flourishing in complex spaces. It's about us staying on point even when all the systems and structures that have like served us well for decades, no longer exist. It's about the mission still remains the same. And we're still called to be in on it. Okay, so how do we do this? Okay, so Romans chapter 15. Um, Paul is speaking to the Roman, to the, to, to the church, to the people in Rome. And from chapter 12 through to chapter 15, he's speaking all about the community. He's saying, hey, listen, you people have to stay together on this thing. If we're going to pursue the main thing that God's calling us to, if we're going to be about that, we have got to fight to stay together. He's talking about unity. He's talking about harmony. My brain is blown away these days as I'm reading through the New Testament, realizing how central community is to the gospel, how central our unity is to the gospel. How, yes, as individuals, we have been made in the image of God, but as the body of Christ, we are called to reflect forth the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what we are to be. It's so central. I mean, I think about my life growing up. I heard so much about personal devotions, personal evangelism, personal discipleship, and I can't find it here very often. I mean, we have personal responsibility, don't get me wrong, but more often than not, it's within the context of the community. That's what we're responsible for there. Like, it's so much about us and we. And I just feel like, like, I'm just like, okay, Lord, I gotta, I gotta wrestle, I gotta figure this out. And here's what's happening. In Romans chapter like 12, all the way up through 14 and towards 15, he's talking about these issues that are dividing the church. And the problem he goes is, hey, listen, they're real issues, but they're not the issue. They're, they're dividing the church and they're, they're distracting us from, the, from what we're called to be about, the glory of Jesus Christ and bringing people to experience the reality and the hope that Christ gives. And he's saying we got to fight to stay together even through these difficult realities that we're dealing with. And he's talking about weaker brothers and stronger brothers and sisters. And he's, he's talking about people whose consciences are pricked by these activities that others are joining. And he's talking about food eating food that's been offered to idols. He's talking about drink and he's talking, you know, specifically about like, should we take a restful day or should we treat all days the same? And, there, and some people are like, man, you got it. And if you don't, you're not being a faithful follower of Jesus. And others are saying it doesn't really matter. There's freedom there. And then it goes, okay, how do we work through this? How do we fight when we have brothers and sisters who think differently on these issues to remain unified and focused on the one thing? the glory of Jesus Christ and his work in our world. How do we do that? And then we get to chapter 15. And most commentators say that there's kind of a shift here where Paul's still addressing some specific issues, but he's become way more general. And he's saying, hey, these are principles about how we got to stick together, how we got to fight to stay unified in harmony. Listen to what he says. 
I'm going to read the whole thing from, from uh, 1 down through verse 7, and I'll attach 13 to it as well. Listen to what he says. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay, so by the way, as soon as you read that, you should be like, oh, stink. This thing's going to address me. Okay, like just right away, and we'll, we'll drop back there, but there's like some really strong words there. Like you have an obligation. You owe this, right? Like it's like, hey, Sid, you don't get to pretend like that's a nice verse and just move on. Like this is like God saying, uh, you're locked on this thing. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, time to pay up. Like, that's what he's saying, man. He's saying, down to pay up, because you owe. Okay, we'll get there. So just, you know, be excited about that. So he says, um, strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance... And the encouragement grants you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? He's saying, oh man, that you would live in harmony with one another, in alignment, in accordance with Christ Jesus, with his way, with his calling, for his glory. And he says um, that together, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God, that people would see the beauty of God, that people would see the beauty and reality of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying, set yourself aside. Set your preferences aside. Get out of the way so that people can see Jesus. And I'm just like, oh, I'm like, <laughs> everything in our culture says, puff yourself up so that people can see you. But the problem is we're a distraction then. People don't need more of me. They need more of Jesus. But they get more of Jesus when we're committed to serving and loving each other as he's called us to. That's when they get to see him. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Okay, so how do, what do we got to fight? Because this is a fight. The fight's real. It's a real fight. It's really hard, especially in this time it's hard. How do we fight for that harmony, that focus together, that courageous community? A couple things. Number one, first we have to fight to remember our calling to serve each other. Got to do it. This is a calling. What Paul would say, it's not just a calling, it's an obligation. We who are strong, and I think that word strong is interesting. It probably reflects somewhat back on the idea that you who have like the strength of a freedom of conscience in a few areas that aren't central, like should we eat this food or not? Should we you know, drink or not? Should we take a day off or not? You know what I mean? Hey, listen, there's some freedom there. If you're strong, your conscience is good. You know, don't sweat it. If it really pricks your conscience hard, we've got to wrestle with it. And then he's saying, you who are strong, make sure you care for those whose conscience is a little bit different in this area. Weak. Okay, that's part of it. Lean in towards your weaker brothers and sisters on this one. Doesn't mean they have less faith. It just means that there's some things that are connected that they're wrestling through, Okay. And weaker, that more susceptible to maybe walk from faith in that sense. But I think Paul's saying just any of you who are strong have a position of power, you know, have, have strength in relationship, have strength financially. Like if you have a type of strength, then this should also like, you got to realize what that strength about. It's not about continuing to make much of yourself. It's actually about continuing to look to serve others. That's actually what it's about. He says, you are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And that obligation isn't that like you owe others, 
the need to serve them because like they've served you. That's not what he's talking about. Our obligation is actually to Christ because he goes on and he says to build him up for Christ did not please himself. We actually owe Jesus. The thing is we can't pay Jesus back. That's not going to happen. So what do we do with this obligation? We start acting like Jesus and radically going and serving and loving others. That's what we do. We become like him towards others around us. He says, you have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Ah, that word bear is really tough. It's not just like put up with, <laughs> you know? It's not just like kind of hold your breath while you're around them. It's like lean in with them. Become present. Carry them. Empathize. Seek to understand. Journey with it's a depth of relationship and commitment, and it's incredibly inconvenient. But don't forget, <laughs> the model is Christ. Do you want to talk about inconvenience? You know what I mean? Like, that's the model. So he says we got to be in there with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, that idea of please your neighbor is fascinating because in our culture, we would say, oh, yeah, you should please others. And what pleases others, what makes them feel good is if you just go ahead and affirm whatever they want to do. That's not what he's talking about, especially not if the affirmation is in tension with the gospel, especially if not the affirmation they're asking for is something that doesn't align with the scripture's and the gospel. Absolutely not. Why not? Because when we move off the gospel, we're not building others up. We're destroying them. Jesus' way isn't just right. It's good. It's really good. It's one of the reasons I think sometimes why the next generation has a really hard time understanding our position on so many things because we've claimed it's right. We've claimed it's right. But oftentimes we haven't lived and expressed how it's good how his way is good. And so we want to please others for what is good, not what destroys them. So we sacrifice some of our own preferences for the sake of serving the other. We fight to remember this calling that Christ has given us to serve others. Second, we fight to see Christ's example. So he says that let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Uh, we, we cannot spend enough time preaching the gospel to our own souls. We can't spend enough time reminding ourselves of the reality of Christ's work on the cross. Reminding ourselves of the reality that it was our sins he took on himself on the cross. He suffered for us while we were still his enemies so that we could become his rightness. So that we could have restored relationship with the life giver. And we could be renewed, recreated. And if Christ hadn't come to us while we were the marginalized ones, we would have never got to him. That's why he says in verse 7, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We should be the most radically inclusive in terms of moving to other people. Those of us who really get the gospel, if you really understand the gospel, you should be the most radically inclusive because you know that if Christ hadn't moved to you, you could have never got to him. We know apart from Christ, we are the marginalized ones. But he's come to us, so he calls us to continue to move towards others. And we got to see this. We have to fight to see the reality and beauty of Jesus Christ. And it's a real fight. You know, Paul said 
In 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, he said, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Did you hear that? He says, as you behold the Lord, you become like him. What you behold, you become. If we're not spending time beholding Jesus, reflecting on his work on the cross, seeing his way in the word, we're not going to become like him. And we need to be like him if we're going to be the people that he's calling us to be and lead other people to him. We have to fight to see his example of radical love, radical self-sacrifice for the other, even when the other we perceive as being our enemy. Even that. So first, we fight to remember our call. Second, we fight to see Christ's example. Third, we fight to embrace the scriptures. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope, so much hope found there. You know, David said that God's word revives our souls. We're renewed by the scriptures. Timothy Keller, when he's reflecting on this passage, he says three things about scriptures are here so clearly. Number one, the scriptures are entirely applicable to today. It says the past was written to teach us. What we have here was written to teach Paul, the Old Testament to Paul, 15, like 1,500 years after, and it's been written to teach us. It's applicable to us now. We need to wrestle and see and understand. The scriptures are centered on, on Christ. Paul quotes Psalm 69 and applies it to Christ and it reminds us that ultimately all scripture points to Jesus. You know, Jesus chastised the religious rulers because he said, you know the scriptures, but you don't know me and the scriptures point to me. This not, scriptures aren't just objectively true, they're relationally meaningful. This is where we meet with and see the person of Jesus Christ as a relational reality. And then if properly used, the scriptures increase hope. They increase hope through endurance and encouragement. They speak to us a reality that we need to see in the battle of our minds. They remind us what is true, that God is good, he's wise, he's sovereign, that God has prepared a place for us. He's coming, he's renewing, he's recreating. They encourage us with these wonderful promises and they show us the way forward to continue to endure when it's hard. And he wouldn't say we need to endure if it wasn't going to be difficult. We should not be shocked if harmony doesn't come easy. But he says we got to fight, got to be in the scriptures. And then finally, we have to fight to pray. And listen to what he says. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Unity is, uh, it's actually not something that we can just do on our own. It's actually a supernatural gift that God has to give to us. But he has ordained that his power is released through prayer. So we got to pray, especially in times like this, when the polarization is so strong, when the issues are so, so emotionally packed, when it's so personal, we have to pray. We have to pray for ourselves that God would give us a love for our brothers and sisters. We have to pray for others. We have to pray that we would keep the main thing, the main thing, the glory of Jesus Christ, somehow in his design reflected in the commitment of the body of Christ being unified in harmony in accordance with Jesus Christ. And when we do that, in the midst of a pandemic 
we become a beacon of hope. That's what he says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is us. You know, um, uh, last week, week and a half ago, we had uh, a group of students come to, our, come to my wife's camp and I was speaking for them. And we had a number of youth workers that were there with the kids. And I'd had over the summer a chance to speak with a couple of counselors. Um, one my wife spoke with, she was a trauma counselor that was at our camp. Another one, we did a project with another counselor from Acadia Divinity School out on the coast around um, helping kids through grief. And, um, and they both had said, you know, kids are grieving something more now than maybe ever before. The trauma counselor spoke about this idea that, that many of our kids have gone through 18 months where there's just been a fear imprint that's been placed on like their neurological pathway. It's deep and it's rooted, it's real. The other counselor just talked about the idea of so many dreams and visions and securities having been removed in this time, so much uncertainty. And there's trauma that goes with that. There's grief that's real. And they're going to desperately need youth workers, maybe more now over the next year or so than ever before. And it was fascinating to me as we spent time together at camp, how God just began to open up. And there was so much, you know, brokenness and tears and, 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 the, and, the, and it was overwhelming in many ways. But what was so beautiful is there was a community of people that came together and they bared one another's burdens. And they journeyed together and it was powerful. It was restoring. It was redeeming. It was reconciling. But it wasn't just what individuals did. It was what a community did. And you know, in in darkness, you hear these things, right? Like lights shine so much brighter in darkness. And my friends, this is in many ways such a dark season, but it is an incredible opportunity for us if we will keep the main thing the main thing. If we will continue to just shine forth the reality of Jesus Christ. And he has ordained that one of the primary ways that the world experiences his love is through our love for one another, our commitment to courageous community. Father, we love you and thank you so much for who you are. You're so good to us. So good to us. And Lord, like, it's not easy. We're in a battle. There's so many pressures. There's so many unknowns. It's, it's difficult. Uh, Lord, um, it hasn't taken you by surprise. You're wise. You're sovereign. You're good. And you've called us to a time such as this. But I pray that, Lord, by your might, you would protect your people. Keep us focused on the main thing. Keep us unified. Keep us about your work together. Help us to like supernaturally love one another through this time, even in the midst of great differences in hard conversations and difficult journeying. Father, may may your glory supersede all these things. I love you, Lord, in your holy name. Amen.